right? Just lots of extra biblical rules, like how you're supposed to dress, or, um, you know, there's even like a, like a, a, a church language, you know, Christianese, if you will. Um, you know, like kind of, if you didn't grow up in it, you don't understand it. Um, Again, a dress code. You shouldn't listen to certain genres of music. You shouldn't watch certain types of, of uh, films if they have a rating that's worse than others. Um, things like that. Just a lot of extra biblical rules. And, and, and again, um, a lot of the times it, it's, it's this idea that your salvation depends on and hinges on how well you can obey God. Um, and not just His rules, but the rules that your church gives you as well. Um, and in that same kind of culture, you'll, you'll find that a lot of people feel like, because um, it gets taught in these kind of legalist churches, that salvation is won and lost on a daily basis. It's like you're in the playoffs for your soul, like day in and day out. Like you have no idea, like you better die on a really good day, because if you have a bad day, you're unacceptable to God and He doesn't want anything to do with you. Um, and what usually happens um, in that kind of a culture is you almost always end up looking down on people who weren't being as good as you are. Um, You become very self-righteous and begin to look down your nose and hold people in contempt that aren't nailing um, God's commands as well as you are or or that aren't nailing uh, the man-made commands of whatever congregation that you're in as well as you are. Um, And whether they're Christians or not doesn't really matter either, right? If they're a Christian, you're going to hold them to a standard and you're going to kind of whatever. uh, And if they're not a Christian, you're definitely going to Definitely look down on them because they're not obeying anything and they're not even trying to obey any of these rules. Um, but I remember growing up, it was kind of like a competition for like who can be the better Christian. Um, like, hey, like who, who read the most chapters in their Bible this week? Well, I read 74. Did you understand any of them or study them? No, but I read them. Like I checked them off like my list of things to do. Or like, you guys remember those JT Chick tracks? Like the little, like the little tiny square tracks, and they're like comic books, and everyone's going to hell um, according to these things. And, and don't get me wrong, um, like that's a huge part of, of, of what the Bible teaches. Uh, but I remember like opening the book recently, one of these little JT Chick tracks, and like the first page is this guy standing there, and he's sitting on a, or sitting there uh, on a bench smoking a cigarette, and this guy just walks up to him and is like, "Do you know you're going to hell?" <laughs> It's like, how do you know that? Like, you don't know if this guy's a Christian or not, unless you're judging him off the fact that he's smoking a cigarette, which I really hope isn't a sin. Um, but again, it was like, who can pass out the most of those tracts? Who can read their Bible the most? Who went to church the most? Who tithed the most? It's, again, this competition to who can be um, the, the better Christian. Um, and in that kind of culture, again, um, and this is huge, almost everyone forgets that they're a sinner. Almost everyone forgets that they're a sinner and that, that the only thing that they can claim is mercy from God. Um, it seems like everyone in that kind of climate seems to forget their past um, what they did and who they were before they met Christ, and then um, even now after meeting Christ, they forget that they're still sinners now, um, and that they're still not perfect, and they're still not hitting God's standards perfectly. Um, and as they forget that they're sinners as well, that they begin to put their hope and salvation in how good they are, and how well that they can obey whatever rules that they have. And whenever that happens... Right? Whenever your salvation or your confidence in God's accepting you is based on how good of a person you are or how moral you are, whenever Christianity is reduced to a bunch of rules that you obey so God loves you, the gospel of Jesus Christ goes completely ignored. It goes completely ignored. This gospel that Jesus Christ is who makes you righteous, that he lived a perfect life that you couldn't, and that through faith in him he has taken all of your sin on himself and made you righteous and gave you his life to be judged by. That gospel goes ignored. And when that gospel is ignored, no one is saved. No one has ever been saved by being moral. Ever. And all you're left with whenever your religion is nothing but what do you do and what do you don't do. You're left with cold, dead religion. You're left with cold, dead rules. And that kind of stuff has never saved anyone. 
And that's because we'll never be good enough to make God love us. Right? We sin every single day. And sometimes you don't even realize what you did that day because you're ignorant to the scriptures on something. But like, you do something every day. So you don't need more rules. What you need is a savior. You don't need more stipulations. You need Jesus. My only faith in Christ saves. Only his perfect life and death in our place is going to accomplish our salvation. And we need to remind it of that on a daily basis. And that's what we're going to talk about this evening. Um, so we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, uh, verses 9 through 14. If you're new here, there are blue Bibles, or there should be at least, in the backs of all those pews. Take one home with you. Um, it's a really easy translation. You're not stealing. Just take it home. That's our gift to you. Um, but let's hop into this parable that Jesus is going to give us, starting in verse 9. It says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He starts it off with, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. We're going to pump the brakes here for a second. Right off the bat, I don't want us to glaze over the the introductory thing of that. Jesus is telling this parable to people who are confident in their own righteousness before God. He's he's telling this parable to the self-righteous. Um, if you don't know what I mean by self-righteous, I mean like literally those who think that they have pleased God enough to like earn or like merit his favor. Um, again, by what they do or what they don't do, God's going to accept them and love them and save them because they've been so good. Um, and, and really what these kinds of people are that are self-righteous, um, these are people who have lost sight of their own wickedness. And what I mean by that is everyone is a sinner. Again, I said, I said it a minute ago, but I really want to just pound this home to you. Everyone is a sinner. Everyone has sin. Right down to our thoughts, right? Like God commands that our thoughts be pure. We've all, we've all been greedy at different times. I know I've talked to a lot of men in this church who, who wrestle with, with pornography. So, like, that's sin. And I know most dudes have struggled with that. I know everyone's lusted in their hearts. At least once you hit a certain age, that, that kind of stuff begins to happen. Um, people have taken things that, that they don't, uh, that didn't belong to them. You've disobeyed your parents. You've lied. You've, you've again, thought bad things about people. You've desired bad to happen. You've been jealous. You've been, you've been envious. You know, whatever it may be, everyone has sinned. And God hates sin. He, he damns sin. It cannot be in His presence at all. And I know that these are truths that we hear week in and week out, but this all bears repeating. God punishes sinners in hell, and everyone is a sinner. We, we have to really grasp that. Self-righteous people are people who have lost sight of that, of what they really are deep down. You know, and generally, we, we all like to believe, especially here at Revolution, I'm just going to be completely honest, we, we all like to think that we really don't fall into that category very much. And Rev, honestly, Rev has done pretty good at not being self-righteous a fair amount of the time um, as a whole. But here's the real question, here's the test. Do you scorn other people? And what I mean by that is, do you hold other people in contempt? Do you look down your nose on certain people? Anyone, even if they're a sinner, even if they're a Christian who's being unrepentant right now, do you hold someone in contempt? Because if you do, that is a dead giveaway that you have at least some kernel of self-righteousness in you. Right? And I'll, I'll say this, and this is kind of a joke, everyone has at least one person they don't like. Like Everyone has at least like one person that they view with scorn. Um, and if you're like me, it might be the greatest irony of the evening, you hold self-righteous people in contempt. So, you know, like that's kind of what I tend to struggle with is I kind of look at those more legalistic kinds of people and I hold them in contempt and I don't want anything to do with them. Um, and again, that shows that I have some self-righteousness in me that needs to go. Um, so let's none of us get too indignant yet and think of the people that we wish were here or think of the churches that need to hear this passage taught and, and know that this message is for us. Right? We have to guard against becoming religious jerks. Um, 
But in this passage, again, getting back into it, this passage, Jesus says that two men go to the temple to pray. Um, one of them is a Pharisee. This is, this is a religious jerk back in the first century. Um, these are the people. Pharisee literally means separated ones. Um, they won't have anything to do with sinners. Um, they won't have anything to do with any, anyone who's not obeying their own rules, let alone God's law. Um, and they view themselves very, again, confidently in, in how good that they are. Um, they're like the modern-day equivalent of hateful church people. Like, it's the best thing that I can come up with. Um, the people that like judge everyone and, and look down on everyone else who's not as good as they are. Um, so that's one of the guys walking up to the temple. And then the other guy's a tax collector. And they're not walking up to the temple, to the temple together. Uh, the Pharisee would have not walked near a tax collector if he could have helped it. Um, a tax collector is the most despised person in the time that Jesus is is telling this parable. He's absolutely despised. Um, he's considered na- a national traitor. He's an agent of Rome. Rome is occupying Israel and really oppressing uh, the Jewish people, and he's working for them to take more money from Jews and give to Rome. They hate him. Um, think about this. If you have uh, a child, or, or, or you can imagine having a kid, um, a Pharisee is the drug dealer who sold drugs to your kid, and your kid overdosed and died. That's a Pharisee. Uh, like that, let's, let's get that kind of mentality. So whenever Jesus says, a Pharisee and a tax collector go up to the temple to pray, everyone in the crowd is expecting the Pharisee to be the model person of the parable. Right? They're all thinking, he's going to be the guy that gets it right. He's going to be the guy that goes to the temple and prays, and God is going to hear his prayer, and he's going to answer him because he's got a direct line because he's so holy and he's a model citizen. And that the tax collector is going to be the guy who gets ignored by God and who is forsaken and is going to suffer in hell when he dies. That's the kind of mentality that the crowd has. Let's finish up the parable. The Pharisee, this is his prayer, he stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's your hope for salvation in? What's your hope for salvation? That's, that's the real question of this parable. We have two options. We can be like the Pharisee or we can be like the tax collector. And I'll remind you, the tax collector goes away forgiven by God. Right, so you want to be like him. right? You want to be like the tax collector, not the Pharisee. But here's a question. Is your hope for salvation in how good you are and how moral you are and how often you come to church and how much money you give to the church or whatever it might be? Or is your hope for salvation in how merciful God is towards sinners? There's a second question I think the parable asks us, is is this, how do you view yourself? How do you view yourself? Do you know you're a sinner? Or are you delusional enough to think that you're actually a good person? Because you're not. Do you actually think that you're righteous before God all by yourself, and you don't need any assistance because you've just got obeying Him down, down pat? How do you view yourself, and where's your hope for salvation? And, and you know, like texts text like this are the ones that stick out to me the most whenever I read the Bible. Um, and, and I say that because they remind us that we're to be humble. 
Like we're to have a huge dose of humility if we're going to call ourselves Christians. And that we're to know everyone is to know that you're an awful sinner. Um, no matter how long you've been a Christian or, or whatever. And that our only hope is to approach God and beg for mercy. And here's the cool thing. Like there, there's, like some, there's a promise in here. God promises to give mercy to those who ask in humility. Right, so this is some reminders that this text is, gonna, is, is teaching us. Um, but what I've noticed is these are the kinds of teachings, these are the kinds of sayings of Jesus and all throughout the Bible in general that get ignored by the church at large the most. They go unpreached, they go untaught, they go unstudied, they go unmeditated on, and it's completely unacceptable. Right, these are the things that get ignored the most, and I think that's because we as human beings, whether you're a Christian or not, everyone's prideful. Everyone's proud. And we, what we really don't want to do because of our pride, and we want to be able to look, look at ourselves or think about ourselves and think, I'm a pretty good guy, and kind of puff our chests out. Um, what we don't want to do is we don't want to look in the mirror every morning and admit that we deserve nothing but God's condemnation because we're sinners. Like We don't want that. We, we, don't, actually, we don't like to actually have to own the fact that we're really deep down bad people. And if you think you're not, I would, I would pose this. Another preacher has said this better than me. Can I run your thoughts on a projector in front of the entire church and you're going to show up for church again next week? No. You'd never come. I wouldn't ever come back in here. We're bad. We're bad people deep down. We're sinners. Never forget that on your life. But, but this too, like Christians, um, especially those who have been in the faith for a while, um, ignore these kinds of teachings as well because they forget what they were. Like I said earlier, they forget what they were and they refuse to see what is still wrong with them. They refuse to let the Bible be a mirror that stares them in the face and says, this is what's still broken in you. You still need Jesus. Sure, you may have come a long way, but there's still miles left in this trip. You know, instead, a lot of us would rather compare ourselves to other sinners and come out feeling like we're better. We like to boost our confidence by comparing ourselves to other people. But let's take a look into the, what the Pharisee prayed. And we're going to see um, his heart, right? And in seeing the heart of this Pharisee, we're going to see what Jesus wants us to avoid. Verses 11 and 12 again. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat. I don't sin. That's insane. I don't sin. And I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Now something, a heart of a Pharisee tells you this. Um, like this is a huge part of, of being this kind of a self-righteous jerk. Who's the subject of that entire prayer? The Pharisee. Like God is like a passing like short thing. Like in the Greek, he, he says I five times. Like he says eight times in our, in our translation, which is kind of funnier and proves my point better. But like in the Greek, he says, I, he references himself five different times. Like this is the kind of mentality he has. It's like, look at these things that I do and I don't do. Why wouldn't God love me? That's his attitude. It's all about himself and it's all about what he's done, what he's like and what he isn't like. Um, and he presents these things that he's done and he's abstained from as the reason why God should accept him. And let's be honest for a second. Do we not all have a tinge of that in us? I do. Like, I have, like, a wicked Pharisee heart that comes to the surface once in a while. And usually I try to, like, shove it back down and, like, go behind a closed door for a minute so no one sees me. Um, but I think everyone has a tinge of, of this Pharisee. like, look at what I've done. It's all about me. God's just a passing thought. Look at me. Um, and what I mean by that, and maybe this will resonate with some of you, um, 
like whenever we're like just knocking it out of the park with our obedience to God, right? Like we're just feeling like, you know, like, man, I've not like, I've not watched porn in like months and I've not like gotten hammered in like a couple of years and I've not, you know, I didn't cuss anyone out today. Uh, you know what I mean? Like whatever it might be um, that we feel like, again, we feel like we deserve God's love more. Um, we feel like we can approach him more because we're more confident because of what we've been doing. Um, again, or we can look back on our life and see what's changed and what we do or what we don't do, and we become incredibly proud. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and I'll pose this to you. Whenever that happens, right? whenever we get that kind of a Pharisee's heart on I, 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 look at what I do, look at what I don't do, um, we've really truly lost sight of ourselves, even though we're looking at ourselves a lot. Um, and, and what I mean by that is we get a false sense of self-worth. Right? We think, I'm a good guy. Well, how can you say I'm not a good guy? Look at what I do and look at what I don't do. Look at how many people I helped out in the East End of ministry. I, I preach. I lead worship. I, uh, you know, I, I, help, I try to help people. I, I stop for homeless people. Like, I'm a good guy. And we get this false sense of self-worth because we've really lost sight of the fact that we sin every day. Um, and I'll say this, and this might, like, whenever I say that we sin, we don't think about, like, the sinfulness of sin. And I know that sounds kind of funny. Um, we don't think of how wicked that that is. Like, God is a holy, pure God who's only ever done good. And whenever we sin, we give him the finger and say, I want to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you've said. No matter if it's the smallest sin, like, I thought something that I shouldn't have thought, or whether it's murder, it's all shaking your fist at God saying, I know what's up, you don't, I'm going to do what I want to do. And sin is so wicked that it, we, we are not worth the bullet it would take to shoot us and kill us. We're really not. That's how wicked that we actually are at our core. We lose sight of that whenever we get proud of ourselves because of the things that we've stopped doing and the things that we do. And I'll tell you this, having a really high view of yourself really proves that you have an incredibly low view of God. Having a high view of self shows that you care nothing about God's holiness. Compare yourself to Him. There's no sin in Him. His holiness demands that His standard is complete perfection. No sin anywhere. But we, like the Pharisee, forget that. We think that we're awesome because we're doing well in a few areas of God's commands. But most of the time, we're still just incredibly blind to the things that we're failing like, just miserably in. Like, we might not even know that we're sinning. But like, I think like, whenever we become blind to what we're failing in because we're so focused on what we're doing well, we become like that high school football player who's like, yeah, man, I had like six touchdowns last week. We were playing like a D6 team, but you know, like whatever. Like I'm thinking of like Menford football. Uh, like, who, who, like, that, like that high school football player that thinks he's awesome and forgets that there is the NFL. <laughs> right? Like forgets like what the true standard of a good football player is and begins to think that he's really awesome because he's playing for some like Hicktown farm team. Um, like we do that. Like we forget things like that God's standards, again, go right down into our thought life being perfect. And who's nailing that in here? Nobody. We forget that we're not perfect. Um, And here's the thing, like knowing that God's standard is like in the pros, that we're never going to be able to get to ever and we'll never be able to attain that kind of perfection, um, it should just cripple our pride. It should knock us to our knees. But here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do because we're all Pharisees in our heart. Um, what What we're likely to do instead of letting it cripple us and crush us and all these things that we're failing in that God says we should be pushing towards holiness in... Um, instead of letting the weight of God's law crush us and make us ask for mercy, sometimes we'll create our own rules and our own standards 
that will allow pride to remain and even grow. All right, the Pharisee did that. Um, you might have not caught this in the, uh, in the prayer. He mentions tithing and fasting. He says, I, I tithe, it says 10% of our, my income in, in our translation. Um, like a better translation is, I tithe 10% of everything that I receive. Right? The Old Testament law actually says you only have to tithe 10% of what you produce. Right? So he's going above and beyond the law's requirements. He's actually going above and beyond what God says he must do. Um, and he also says, I, I, I fast twice a week. In the Old Testament, there's only one day that you fast, and it's the Day of Atonement. There's only one day that you would fast. And he says, yeah, well, like, I fast 104 times a year. Rather, one day a year. I'm sorry, Day of Atonement's one day a year, not one day a week. Um, and what he did is, is he wasn't doing this with good intentions, like, oh, you know, I want, I want to fast more so that I would rely on God more. I want to give more to the temple because, you know, I want to be more generous and more giving. He did this stuff to be able to say, oh, you fast once, once a year? I fast 104 times a year, punk. Like, get on my level. Like, he has these rules to make himself feel good about himself and be able to ignore what he's actually screwing up in and make him look good to people who are watching him from the outside. And I think Christians do the exact same thing today with extra-biblical rules. Right? And I'm talking about, like, rules about, you know, like, alcohol. Like, you can never, ever drink. Or, like, there's a list of, like, ten words that you should never, ever say. Or you, can, you can't watch R-rated movies. Or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and I'll be the first person to say this. Don't, don't, mis, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. If you have personal convictions about something, glory to God. Like, if you feel like, hey, for me, I can't do X, even though the Bible doesn't say that I can't. Obey that. Don't violate your conscience. Paul actually tells you in the back half of Romans, like, that's, like to, to do what you believe is sin is to sin. So like, if you have a personal conviction, that's great. But what I don't want us to do with whatever personal convictions we might have or whatever extra biblical rules that we have, don't swell your head and think that you're great because you're hitting those things. And in the meantime, ignore God's law and the weight of it and the fact that you're not hitting it perfectly. Personal convictions are great, but don't focus on those at the expense of what God says. But by focusing on their own rules, the Pharisee, he really lost sight of how he failed to obey God on a daily basis. And I'll say this, whenever that kind of a self-righteous attitude um, goes unchecked, and whenever ignoring how much we actually sin on a daily basis goes unchecked, we're going to hold others in contempt. We don't, we don't think that they're as good as we are. We're going to start comparing ourselves to other people. And that's exactly what the Pharisee did in his prayer. Like, if you guys notice, he, out of nowhere, like in the dead middle of that prayer, he just throws that tax collector under the bus. Right? Like, he's like, hey, like, I'm not like this. I do this. I do this. I'm not like that tax collector. Right? He begins to hold that guy in contempt because his self-righteousness has gone completely unchecked. Um, he, again, he, th- he thanks God that he is not a sinner like, quote, everyone else. So all these other people he comes into contact with, they're sinners. Thank you, God, for, for me not being that way. Um, and what he's really done is he's really built his own ladder of false righteousness so that he can climb on it and look down on everybody. That's really what he's done. And that's exactly what we have to strive to avoid. Like, hear me out. Like, that's what we have to strive to avoid. And that's comparing ourselves to other people. And I'll give you two reasons why you don't want to do that. You don't want to compare yourself to other people um, First off, because you can become incredibly proud. Again, the whole thing that we're trying to defeat this evening. You can become really proud and you can become really arrogant because the guy you're comparing himself to doesn't measure up to how good you're doing. Or you're going to despair because you're going to compare yourself to the guy who's doing better than you are. 
And you're going to say, oh man, like God would accept me more than he would accept the tax collector, but this guy is doing better than me, so like God will accept him. Maybe he won't accept me. And you'll begin to despair because you're just not measuring up to even your own standards, and someone else is measuring up to those standards. We, we, we can't put our confidence in comparison. Well, I'll say this. When our confidence for salvation, right, or our confidence for, for God's love is grounded in anything but Jesus, we have absolutely no hope. And the reason why I say we have no hope, if my confidence to approach God, or my confidence that whenever I die, God's going to receive me as his son, if it's in what I do, my obedience and your obedience is always in flux, is it not? Like, it's, it, we're always up and down constantly. Like, some days, like, you're on a mountain, and obedience flows like water in a stream. Like, you're like, yeah, like, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to stop doing this. I have no desire at all to sin against God, and it's just flowing out of you. And then other days, you're in a desert, and it's like putting your hand in a meat grinder to make yourself do anything that God wants you to do. Our obedience is constantly in flux. So, so to base our confidence on how we stand before God, on what we do, is like building your house on a foundation of sand. It's completely unstable and it's going to fall. Don't do that. But the real tragedy of being like the Pharisee in this parable is that there's no salvation in it. There's no, there's no escape from God's wrath in our being good. There's no escape from God's wrath in being very moral. There's no escape from God's wrath in obeying His commandments. Period. And I say that because of this, and I know some of you guys will know people like this. There are plenty of good people, right, by our standards, with good morals that are going to hell. Some of the most moral people I've ever met in my life are going to hell. They put all their hope in, I've been good enough. So I want you to hear me on this. If your religion rests on what you do or what you don't do, right, if that's your hope for whenever you stand before God in judgment over your life, that I did this or I didn't do this. That's all you have is just religion. All you have is a cold, dead religion and a bunch of rules. And religion, right, being good won't save anyone. Only faith alone in Christ alone saves. Keep in mind, the Pharisee thought that he was saved by his obedience. That mentality of, oh, sure, God loves me. Why wouldn't he? My obedience is sufficient to cover my sin. My obedience is sufficient to cover my mistakes. That's what the Pharisee said. That's what the self-righteous person says. But God says this in Romans chapter 3. He says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. 
So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. If you take nothing from me this evening, being good can never save. Take that. And I say that because you will never do anything good enough. You will never do an amount of good that is good enough to satisfy God's standard of perfection. You've already sinned. You've already screwed it up. At some point, everyone in here has sinned at one point or another. You can't undo what you've done in the past by doing better today. It doesn't work that way. You've already missed the mark of perfection. Everyone's fallen short of God's glorious standard of perfection. To put our hope, in, 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 or for, to put our hope for salvation in our own works is to outright reject Jesus Christ and everything that He did. And hear me on this. I know a lot of people have never thought about it this way. And I hope to end that this evening. If we could have been saved by being really good and obeying a bunch of rules, then Jesus would have never come ever. If one person could have been justified in God's sight by being good and obeying God's law, Jesus wouldn't have come. But none of us will ever be good enough for God. That's why He had to come. That's the whole point. We'll never be good. We'll never be good enough. And that's the fact that the tax collector understood. The tax collector got that. He knew what a failure he was. He knew that he had sinned. He knew that he would never be good enough to earn God's love. And knowing all of that broke him. It brought him to his knees. He beat his chest in sorrow. He he hated his sin. He hated himself. He knew what he had done. He knew that he deserved to go to hell. But he knew this. Because God has declared this about himself throughout the scriptures more times than you can count. God is merciful. God is the definition of mercy. And knowing that, the tax collector did the only thing that there was left to do. And he asked God to be merciful to him. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. A better translation is this. Make atonement for me, the sinner. That's what he cried out to God. Make atonement. Make propitiation for me. Give me something to satisfy the wrath that you have over me. He understood the holiness of God. He understood that sin has to be punished. He knew that he needed someone to satisfy God's wrath and make atonement for him. And he knew that he didn't want that person to be him. And I'm here to declare to you guys, that person is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the satisfier of God's wrath. That's what we just read in in Romans. Jesus, being the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, went to the cross and took our sin, our shame, our guilt that we we just incur every single day. And He went to the cross and He paid for it. He suffered God the Father's wrath on the cross in our place as a substitute for us. And He lived a perfect life that we could not live. He says, if you put your faith in me, I'll take your sin from you and I'll give you my perfection. I'll give you my righteousness to be judged by. You can put your confidence in that instead of your own work. That's the gospel. That's Jesus making atonement for us. We have to do the same as a tax collector. We have to do the exact same. Whether you are an unbeliever here, you're not a Christian, or whether you've been a Christian for decades... Daily, we have to be like the tax collector. We have to know that we bring nothing to God. You bring nothing. On your best day, you're still worthless. We bring nothing to God. We are miserable sinners who have no case before God. And our only plea when we stand before God is for mercy on the grounds that Jesus has paid for our sin. 
That's the only plea that we have. That Jesus has made atonement. That Jesus has made us righteous. And listen, that plea for mercy, based on what Jesus has done, will never be rejected by God. Ever. God will never reject the work of His Son. Ever. Jesus tells us at the end of the parable that the one who comes like the tax collector will be justified. What justified means is made righteous. Means legally declared by God Himself to be free from all penalty for sin. All because of Jesus. And Jesus says that if if we come like the tax collector and beg for mercy, that we'll be made righteous because we have been humbled and we have appealed to mercy and not our own works. God opposes the proud, but he raises up the humble. And listen to me, if we really understand how jacked up and how badly that we need Jesus, we'll never have room for pride. We'll always be with our faces on the floor in humility. If we really understand our sinfulness and our need for a Savior, we'll never hold anyone in contempt, no matter what they do. Not that we won't be upset if we see someone in sin, but our heart would break for them. We can't ever hold anyone in contempt. If we're a Christian, you can't. Because you know, if you're a believer, that you are every bit of a sinner that they are. The only difference is that you've received mercy because of what Jesus has done. That's it. So what I want us to do is I want us to take these gospel truths revealed in this parable that Jesus told us. And I want, to, I want you to let them reveal your pride. I want these truths to, to reveal whether or not you're self-righteous and you really think that you're bringing something to the table for God. And then I want these truths to destroy those kind of thoughts. I want the gospel to invade our hearts and destroy whatever self-righteousness we have, whatever pride that we have. Because only then are we really going to love sinners and pursue them. Whenever we really put ourselves on that same level and say, I am one of you, I've just received mercy, then we'll go and pursue sinners. Truthfully, only then are we going to actually appreciate Jesus Christ ourselves. There's a quote I think that's that's very fitting for this. Uh, It's by a theologian named William Barclay. He said, The gate of heaven is so low that none can enter it except upon their knees. We have to be humbled. The gospel should humble us. We have to, in in whatever instance we find ourselves in, feeling like we're better than somebody or holding someone in contempt, we have to get off of our high horses and get low. Because if we refuse to admit our own sin daily and we refuse to put our hope in Jesus and Jesus alone, then there is no hope for us. But on the other hand, God is faithful to his word. There's promises in this parable. God is faithful to his word. If we come to him as chest-beating, lowly sinners, he promises to raise us up without fail. He promises to raise us up and call us his children and make us clean in his sight. Cling to the work of Jesus. Cling to Jesus' cross. That's the only hope you have. Drop your works in the dirt where they belong because they're worth nothing. And as you drop them, throw yourself on the mercy of God. Beg for mercy from God. And you will not be denied because God will not deny His own promise.
And that promise is forgiveness by faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you're better to us than we deserve. God, would you not break us? Would you not break our pride? Would you not break the pride of an unbeliever here? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. Give us hearts of flesh. And if there's anyone here who does not know you, that you would begin to work in them and show them that what I've said from your word this evening is true, that everyone's a sinner and that everyone deserves hell. But that there's hope in Jesus because Jesus has satisfied the requirements of the law. Jesus has been perfect. Jesus has paid for our sin. Holy Spirit, please just remove any contempt that we have for anybody whether they're a brother or a sister, whether they're an unbeliever. Help us to walk in grace and in mercy towards others because we've been shown mercy. God, save someone. Save someone. In Jesus' name, amen.